A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. So here we go. We're back. Episode number four, Rick Shields podcast, season two. And uh, loving making these so far. The responses have been amazing. Thank you so much. I saw, um, not sure how valid this is, but I saw on the podcast on iTunes that we were ranked, you know, right up at the top in golf podcasts. So thank you so much for all your support. Continue to review the podcast. Make sure you subscribe because um, I enjoy making them. And this week's episode is no exception. Got another action-packed episode that's going to be talking about all things with golf news, golf equipment. We're seeing, starting to see glimpses of golf clubs ready for 2020, which I'm excited about seeing. Got loads of questions coming from you guys. We're going to talk about the, the ideal range practice session, how you can actually benefit from going to the driving range rather than just wasting your time, and much more. And I'm very happy to announce I'm back here with producer Guy. It is good to be back, Rick. How was your holiday, pal? It was good, as you well know. Um, the flight going out was cancelled, so I sat on an aeroplane ready oh, to go on my no. holidays. Yeah, flight was cancelled, had to get off the plane, go home, and then go again the next day. So that was a bit of a shame. But other than that, it was a class. And I actually listened to the podcast while I was away. Thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> why, do I, why do I feel like I don't quite, I don't quite believe you the way <laughs> you're even looking at me there? Um, no, it's good to have you back. You went to Dubai, right? I did. There was no golf, unfortunately. It was away with my girlfriend for, I think it was only five days in the end. One of the days obviously was cancelled, which was a shame. But it was a nice chance to chill out, um, read some of um, a biography on Elon Musk, which was class. Haven't finished that yet, but I'm not a big reader. So to actually spend some time and read, it was actually quite refreshing. Yeah, I, I love Elon Musk, but it would. I think I'd have to wait for a movie to come out to really get into it. Uh, and away with you, fiance guy. You can't say girlfriend, or do you not say fiance? I feel cringe saying it, but fiance. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I know I can get it. Um, so first point we're going to bring up, and you might have seen on the YouTube video this week on Tuesday, Cobra announced their new driver for 2020. Their S Z. Now I know I call I, I say Z, and here in the UK we would normally say Z, but I'm going with S Z to make it transatlantic. And S Z stands for Speed Zone, and this is their next version, their upgrade, effectively from the unbelievably successful Cobra F9 driver they brought out this year. Uh, we managed to get our hands on it, annoyingly. And I honestly, I'm thoroughly annoyed. I did not have hittable samples. The samples that they sent was a bit last minute, well, very last minute, and it wasn't finished product. It was basically just for taking pictures and showing a bit of preview. Um, So when I do get my hands on those full hittable products, the review will be coming soon. Probably going to be looking at the start of December now. Uh, But I'm excited. After seeing and feeling and looking at the products, 
um, and reading a bit of tech, I'm intrigued to know how much better it can potentially get over F9. Uh, there's lots of positives, a few negatives to call out, uh, but all in all, it looks very promising. It's got um, it's got some new features, but not loads has changed. Yeah, I think for me, the problem that Cobra have got, for, for my opinion, was it they couldn't win because if they changed it after such a successful driver, you'd be like, why have you changed it? If it's not broken, don't fix it. But because it doesn't look massively different, I'm kind of like, nah, I want to be more excited. I'm not a fan of the yellow again. Obviously, it's available in the Arctic white version. Yeah, That is looks it, pretty nice. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that as well. I think the yellow, I think if they would have done, there's a couple of things I'm I'm surprised, mate. First off, I thoroughly expected a Cobra F10 straight from the off. After the F9, they could have just brought out a newer version or an F9S or something that continued with the F9 theme potentially and the speed back story. And if they did change the name, which they obviously have done to Speed Zone or SZ, why they then didn't switch and turn it red or, you know, blue or whatever green, whatever colours they would have. So that really surprised me because it's, sometimes it's hard to, as a as a customer, as a golfer going into a store, you might easily not recognise that the two drivers are actually that different between an F9 and an SC. So that's one thing I was surprised about. One thing that really did surprise me, but I absolutely love it, the price is the same. Yeah. So Cobra have stuck to that £350 or $449 price point, and I think they could have easily been tempted to jack up that price this year. I think this year, potentially, price for Cobra could be a even bigger, um, almost bonus, if you like, than it was. So this year, obviously, it was cheaper than most of its competitors and that was a that was big and, and a lot of people noticed that and then tried it and, and bought off the back of it but i think this year people that might not have been in the market for a driver well last year if you want to call it last year or 2019 who weren't looking to swap but in 2020 are possibly toying with it they've seen maybe a few of the friends or they've seen you with an f9 in the bag and it's getting a bit more traction they might be thinking okay so maybe cobra are a, a real option and it's cheaper I think that's really going to drive sales again this year, and I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to say if Cobra have a, another massive year off the back of that with the driver. Yeah, no, I'd agree. We've not hit it yet, and you've not hit it. What's your thoughts so far on the look of it? It does look good. I'm just not. I think what I don't like about it, and it, well, I don't. One thing I'm not sold on is normally when a new driver comes out, instantly it makes the previous years look old. Whereas this year, like you said earlier on, when you put the two next to each other. It actually doesn't look any different. And weirdly, almost F9 looks newer. So I don't feel like that excited, but that face looks pretty interesting. So I'm definitely interested to see how you get on with that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about what is actually new. Well, the, the big real difference is this new Infinity milled face. So milled face has been around since F8. And effectively, it's Cobra's way of manufacturing a process that guarantees thickness and thinning of the face to optimize performance. And when it's milled, a bit like a really expensive iron or a wedge, you can be so much more precise when it's milled as opposed to just being a face that's that's factory made. When it's actually milled in a machine, the tolerances are much, much tighter. Now, they've continued that theme in the Infinity face with the F. I keep wanting to call it F10, with the SC. And they've actually wrapped it around, and I've never seen this before on a driver. They've wrapped it around the actual crown slightly, around the toe, around the bottom of the club, and around the 
um, heel section, the, the whole circumference of the actual face has been extended by maybe about half an inch or so, and the face has overlapped the actual rest of the golf club. Now, the reason for that, they claim it's not only going to produce more milling, they reckon there's 95% more milling has gone to this driver. Also, it makes it more aerodynamic because there's no effective step. If you think about a wind, let's say a wind was blowing up against a, a wall and the wind would go over the top of that wall, but also would hit the wall at some point if, you know, the wall had a top, obviously. Well, what Cobra trying to do here is almost try and shape the top of the wall so it's more arced, so that when the actual airflow goes over the face, it actually glides through the air more efficiently. Therefore, helping you maximize more clubhead speed, helping you hit the ball further. That's what it, I'm just reading it almost as if they've kind of worded it to some degree. Um, so that's new. They've also introduced more carbon. So this driver is 50% carbon fiber. So they've, they've distributed the weight slightly differently in the head. And they've also put a new chassis, a T chassis in the driver. And it's effectively a ridge that goes through the middle of the driver crown that helps with stability. Not too dissimilar to what, let's say, Callaway have done in the past with their jailbreak technology. And not too dissimilar to what other manufacturers have done in the past. What I'm surprised about is they didn't actually... Um, visually show that t-bar chassis a bit more because i think one as a viewer as a viewer as a golfer as a customer as a as someone who wanted to test the product i would have seen that there was visible tech and also i think it could have been quite easily used as an alignment tool on top of the crown if they made that a different color yeah it's a lot going on um and, and looking through the, the information online and, and everything, it, there's loads of different stories that you can you can dig into. So it's it, it's going to be exciting to see you try it. But ultimately, it all boils down to, is it going to perform any better? And I think the, the, the hard thing for, for Cobra here is if it, if it doesn't perform better or if it only performs slightly better, retailers are definitely going to be selling Cobra F9s for cheaper. And with it already being a, a, a reasonably priced drive to start with, are we going to start seeing F9s at 270, 280, 300 pounds, which is... I think it'll be cheaper. Uh, I also think you'll, I think you'll see Cobras under 200 pounds. I think wow. you'll see an F9 at 199 and being shipped out like crazy, ready for the new stock. And anyone buying an F9 at discount is getting an absolute bargain right now. Because truth be told, from year on year, and when I'm talking from 2019 to 2020, you'll never see quantum leaps of performance benefit. There are minor, minor improvements. I'm intrigued to know if it performs better. I'm intrigued to know if it has more aerodynamics. I'm intrigued to know if I'm going to swing it faster. And all of that will be coming to my YouTube channel very soon. So make sure you are subscribed. Make sure you have the bell notification turned on because the full review is coming soon. But a promising start. The other thing to touch on is there's two drivers this year, which I have mixed thoughts about. I've got to be honest. I think what they did well last year is they just had the one. It was very easy to navigate. You've got one driver, and it suits a vast amount of golfers. This year, they brought SZ out, and they brought SZ Extreme out. Extreme without an E. Trying to be cool. <laughs> and that's effectively a bigger footprint, only one way in the back, slightly more suited to, a, a let's say, a higher handicapper or someone who needs a bit, bit more help. I think that's going to confuse people a bit too much. And also, I think that's going to affect sales to a certain degree. But I don't care about sales, but it's an interesting strategy. 
Yeah, there must be a, a, a rationale behind why they've done that. But I tell you what, I'm actually just online now. Now, obviously, the F8 wasn't as good as the F9, but it was still a pretty solid driver. I know you had some uh, issues with it. Was it low off the face strikes? Yeah, just low off the face. It was terrible. But, and this is on several online genuine retailers now, you can find an F8 brand new for £169. £169. That's crazy. And that is a good driver. Yeah, it is. I actually like the Nardo Grey in that. Yeah. That was the first time I'd ever heard the word Nardo Grey. Nando. <laughs> <laughs> I nearly bought a car last year. And uh, I'll tell you the story yeah. really quickly. <laughs> so I really I really wanted this new car. And it was all all bells and whistles and, you know, you know, quite a pimped out car. And um, <laughs> it was in this Nardo Grey. So, you know, Nardo being the colour grey, quite fashionable colour. And uh, the guy who was buying it off, this was uh, like a really cool um, second-hand retailer, let's say, for pretty fancy cars. Uh, I rang him up and said, yeah, I'm really interested in X car. And I think it's in Nando Gray. <laughs> and the <laughs> guy was with me at the time and started, you know, laughing loudly. I was going to swear, they're laughing loudly. And I was like, oh, yeah, maybe I've said that wrong. And he went, do you mean Nardo Gray? I went, oh, yeah, that's the one. It was the fact that you're on the phone, AirPods in, dead cool. And it was like, yeah, 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 you know, I think we're going to go. You know, is it in the Nando Gray? <laughs> <laughs> I must have been hungry at the time. <laughs> I must have been thinking about Nando's. But, yeah, it was a good colour of the driver and the car, to be fair. I never got the car in the end, but one day I'll get a Nardo car. Um, that new Tesla pickup truck might be in Nardo. Oh. I can imagine that being in some weird funky colours that is if anyone has seen that Tesla car what do you think of it it is definitely going to um, polarise opinions I think in a weird way I don't know how we've come on to Elon Musk twice in one podcast so far but with Elon he obviously doesn't care about you know uh, what people think it's all about innovation and, and maybe to shock people to a certain degree that is a one shocking vehicle if you've not checked it out go and check out Marcus Brownlee's uh, kind of insight into it because it is one weird looking pickup truck which I'm not convinced about yet you quite like the look of it don't you to a certain degree it's not supposed that I like it but I'm prepared to start liking it I think sometimes these crazy designs come out it, it's horrible at first and then all of a sudden like a month later or six months later you're like actually that's really good I think that happens with golf clubs yeah I do, honestly. The amount of times I've seen a golf club for the very first time, let's say it's leaked online, I've never seen it, I've not got my hands on it, and I look at it and go, I don't like that. That doesn't look how I expect a golf club to look, whether it be a driver, a putter, or whatever, a wedge, a set of irons. And then over time, the more you see a certain product, the more you familiarize yourself with it, you end up falling weirdly in love with certain products. And you... yeah. You can't comprehend that because the first time you ever saw it, you hated the look of it. What about the, when the Spider launched like 10 years ago? Yeah. And obviously the two ball, that was longer ago. That was such a strange looking putter. But now it almost feels quite classic in a, in a bizarre way. Yeah. Yeah. It'd almost be quite kind of, um, oh, uh, what's the word? Retro if you went back to like a two ball putter. Yeah. And uh, we have seen some glimpses of some putters actually. We can't take, talk about them yet, but some putters that are coming out next year from a certain brand look. Awesome. Could change the game. Could no seriously change the game. I think there's there's a, 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 something very simple that's going to come out that is actually going to have a direct influence on the way you hold more putts. Honestly, do I'm, I'm a big. As soon as I saw it, I was like, "Wow, that's going to change the game. That will be coming soon." So yeah, Copa stuff um, is obviously I, uh, fairway woods, which I still use an F7 fairway wood. I'd love to. Maybe have a look at what the new SZ <laughs> Fairway Woods is doing. Hybrids, irons with some weird carbon 
um, top line, which I'm not quite sure about just yet. Um, but yeah, like I say, I'll be definitely reviewing the drivers. That'll be coming to the channel soon, so stay tuned. Um, a load, honestly, we've had a few meetings this week, actually. And some of the products we're seeing for next year have definitely intrigued us. You know, some have been underwhelming. Some have been a bit of a shock, but some of them also have been like, okay, I'm listening. I can I can go with that. So all that will be coming very soon. Um, and then it brings us on quite nicely to um, a video I brought out this week as well. So I brought out two videos this week. One was the Cobra Insight, the little view into it. And the second one was a different style of video I've never really done before, if I'm honest, or certainly not for a number of years. I did a bit of a vlog. I self-filmed everything. Uh, it was one evening a couple of weeks ago, and I went to the driving range at Trafford Golf Centre where I used to coach. And uh, this might come as a shock to many people listening. I went and practiced like a proper, even though I was filming it, practice session. I went down to the range, bought, I think it was 100 golf balls I ended up getting out, um, and did a practice session. And in that video, I talk about what I do in a pretty much a full practice session. Personally, I like to break a practice session down into three parts. Let's say I've got an hour to spend practicing, okay? What I typically like to do is spend 20 minutes working on technique. So 20 minutes solely on really specific techniques that I'm trying to work on in my golf swing, either that I've noticed on myself from video or whether it's I've, I've had a coaching session, but something I'm really trying to work on from a technical standpoint, spending 20 minutes just dialing into that as much as I can, being very, very particular about it. Not really worrying about where the golf ball goes, just working on technique. Then my second third, I think that makes sense, my second stage of that three sections, the next 20 minutes, I'll try and still continue a little bit of the technique, but start to go for different flags, start to change my club selections, go from a wedge to a putter to a driver, to a three wood, to a nine iron, to a seven iron. And not only trying to hit my technical points that I'm trying to hit, but also now monitoring ball flight. What shots am I hitting? Can I shape it left to right? Can I shape it right to left? Can I hit it high? Can I hit it low? I'm really trying to work on not only technique, but also now how it can manifest into a bit more of a, of a proper practice session, a bit more realistic. And in my last third, I've got 20 minutes to go, I like competition in that third. Now, it might just be competition on my own. It might be the fact that I say, right, I'm going to set a target out here on the driving range between that flag that's at 200 yards and that flag that's on the other side at 200 yards. How many shots in a row with my driver can I hit through that gateway? That's a one example. They might be a green at 100 yards. How many times can I hit on that green that I'm comfortable with that that has been a, a successful shot and measure it out of 10 or trying to measure it all the time or what I actually did in this particular video uh, that I released in the week try and have a challenge with someone something fun something engaging something that gets the competitive juices flowing so a good friend of mine Matt Fryer who was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago he works at Trafford he's one of the golf pros there if you want to go and check him out um we had a little challenge. We had uh, closest to 100 yards. I was using my Garmin G80 uh, launch monitor, which is a really cool device. It's so handy. And it's a GPS unit you use out in the golf course. It's so good. It really is. Um, I had that set up, and we were hitting shots to 100 yards, having a competition. Hitting shots to 150 yards and having a competition. Seeing how fast we could swing our drivers and having a competition. And time flies. In that 20 minutes, it just goes so quickly. But that's the fun element because you want to finish a practice session doing something fun. 
if you've finished a practice session feeling down because you've not man- you've not hit the perfect shot or you've not hit the perfect technical position, you won't actually want to go and practice again. I'm, I'm, you know, and this is in golf, but I bet it's similar, you know, to like if you went to the gym every day. I know you you're quite a gym goer guy. Do you always try and finish on something you enjoy, or what's the kind of process there? I think. <clears throat> Similar, I always try and finish on something that I feel like I really sweated on so that when I'm actually walking down the stairs out of the gym to the change rooms and my heart rate is up. So it's a similar kind of concept. Um, You've got to test yourself, exactly, I suppose. Exactly. That's what it is. It's testing yourself in that situation. Here's a question for you then. So last year I was playing loads of golf, quite a lot of competitions, really getting into it again. If I went to the driving range where there was obviously no consequence for a bad shot and you can actually vouch this you've seen it, my driver was going long and straight. I could fade it, I could draw it, it was class. Get onto the golf course where there's obviously out of bounds left or trouble right. I developed this absolutely horrendous snap hook. How 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 would somebody I think a lot of people have that issue. How do we take that range swing to the course? It is and I have seen it in first hand with you. You can go to the driving range and you hit your driver so bloody good. I think that the challenge we have as golfers, and certainly in the UK, it might be a bit different in the US, is that the driving range is so removed compared to the golf course. The driving range is so different. You're hitting off a mat. You're in a bay. You're hitting out to a, an outfield. It's very different scenario to when you're actually out on the golf course hitting golf shots that matter. I think one thing that we don't do well enough, and this brings me back to that last point, is really monitor ourselves in practice. So let's say you're trying to work on improving your driver shots out on the golf course. And as you mentioned, with no consequence, what does it matter if you hit a crap shot? And also, you might not remember, you might think you hit it great on a driving range because you hit five or six in a row and hit a big snapper, but you forget about it because another basket of balls waiting for you. I think sometimes we we neglect the bad shots on a driving range because it's like, whatever, there's another ball popping up on the automatic tee ready for me to smash. So one thing I think that you and other golfers should do a little a lot more in this situation is try and think that every single golf ball is separate and and what i mean by that so take out 10 golf balls from the basket and you've got 10 golf shots now that's still a lot because you only get one chance on the golf course but each of those 10 shots go through as realistic as possible what your situation your practice pre-shot routine let's say is out on the golf course. Mm-hmm. So put your pra- stand up behind the ball, pick a target line, do your practice swings, visualize a good golf shot, have that positive mindset on a good golf shot. Swing with commitment. And then wherever that golf ball goes, it's a consequence. Because you can have a little notepad, and I would always advise someone to take a little notepad to the range or on your phone, draw a kind of marker out of a fairway, and then put an X or a, a number one if you missed target left. Next shot you might hit, and again, go through that same process of pre-shot routine, positive reinforcement, visualization, hit your second shot, and you nut it down the fairway, then write number two where the position of the shot would have gone on this kind of imaginary fairway on your notebook, and go through that all the time. So until you've hit all 10 shots. Now, after that 10 shots, you're going to have some feedback. You might see that actually only four of those golf shots found the fairway you might you might out of those 10 shots for and that's not a bad start 40 percent is pretty decent you then might have seen well actually the rest of the six shots have all gone left every single one of them has gone left so you know okay well at least i know where my miss is 
gets a little bit more complicated if your shots go right and left offline, granted. But at least if you have a pattern, you can start working on it. Then you put the clubs away, you go home, and the next practice session, you get to that stage again where you have 10 balls ready to hit in the same situation, and you're trying to beat your previous score because you're starting to put consequences on it. Now, what you should have done in that meantime as well before you come to that test is work out how for you, let's say, if you miss your driver left, how can I purposely try and miss target a little bit further right? Mm -hmm. How can I change my pattern? How can I control my ball flight? Then next time you go down to drive range and have those 10 shots again in a competitive mindset, you might hit five in the fairway, one left, three right. And you've changed the pattern. Something is that might not be 10, but you've changed the pattern. And suddenly you feel more in control. The more times you do that, the more times you do that. And you start to also try and emulate what you do on the practice range out on the golf course. So when you stand on the first tee of your local course and you want to hit driver, you know, well, 60% of the time I'll hit the fairway. That's okay. I can accept that. Four out of 10, I'm going to miss the fairway. But now I want my miss to be a slight fade rather than a big snap hook that kills me. So you can start to put these movements into play. Nobody hits fairway all the time. The best players in the world don't hit fairways all the time. But they'll have a consistent, controllable miss. So for golfers who are out there who, who really hit those horrendous snap hooks or big slices or you know every now and again, going through that process and going through that, that controlled practice. So when you get on the golf course, there's actually a tangible evidence of how many times you're likely to hit a fairway and then you can control it. Wow, good answer. <laughs> I think that's where I'm going wrong because my driving range sessions normally have three sections and it's two balls with a lob wedge, three balls with a seven iron and then 45 balls with a driver as hard as I can hit it. There's no, and there's no consequence. Like yeah. Out of those 45 shots, how many times do you know you've hit a fairway? Well, that's what you're... That's what I'm, that's, I think that's where I go wrong because even though I feel like at the driving range I'm smashing it, I might hit 40 that are class but then I might hit five that be out of bounds and obviously on the golf course those five out of bounds destroy your scorecard you're really good at setting stupid challenges mm-hmm. so let's say there's a bin over in the corner guy will say right I'm going to chuck this tea peg in the bin now you're you're just as you're so like if he does it first time it's like oh my god that's amazing but sometimes he'll try it 10 15 20 times and eventually you'll get it in that's not too dissimilar to the dri- the driving range practices you do. There's no consequence yeah. for the bad ones because another ball there waiting for you to have a go at. And you try and learn from each shot as well. So let's say you hit a snap hook on driving range. You probably next one you'll try and carve. It. I don't know. It's just it's too messy. It's got to be monitored. Yeah, I'm gonna throw a curveball out there though. I, I don't like hitting balls. I don't. I, I can go to the range and hit 50 balls, and that's that's quite fun. But I, I, as a junior, was always, and I got to a decent level, I would always rather be on the putting green or playing nine holes. Well, give a bit of context. What's decent level guy? Well, I was off four when I was 15, and I'm still off four now, and I'm 29. <laughs> so there's obviously been a, a slight plateau. Um, I've been watching those YouTube videos on golf. All right, right. all right. Um, <laughs> but as a junior, I had some friends who were, they would be on the driving, well, the practice ground, hitting balls and collecting them back in, hitting balls. And it just, they, they were good ball strikers, probably better than me. So it's obviously something to be said in that. But I'd rather just go and play nine holes. And I think a lot, when I've asked this question before to some of my friends and said, you know, would you rather, um, if you had an hour or two hours, would you rather go and hit balls or would you rather go and play nine holes? And, and most of my friends are like, yeah, just play nine holes. But if you want to get good, you've got to grind, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've asked this question on Twitter a number of times and nine holes always seems to win it. Mm. Um, I, I would agree, you know, 
I did that practice session a couple of weeks ago. It was quite novel because I'd not done one for a while. But truth be told, could I go every day? No, I couldn't. One, because I've probably not got the desire to, and it does get a bit boring. Mm. You know, if I'm honest, I hit probably in the end after a, I, I think I got some more balls out because I was trying to hit the crossbar with a two iron for a while. Um, that was one one go, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> about twenty goes. Um, I honestly got in the car, drove home, and I, I, I was aching like my hands, and my wrists were aching because. Actually, hitting shots into mats isn't that no, comfortable. You know, if you're hitting down hard on it, it actually can hurt your wrist like a, a bit. So, yeah, the only time I've really ever thoroughly enjoyed proper practice is when it's on a driving range that is out of this world. Um, you know, when there's Pro proper V1s. greens. Yeah, Pro V1s, real greens to hit into, real shaped fairways. The outfield is so important for me on a driving range. It's got to intrigue me. And even like daft things at the Trafford range that I went to, there was a crossbar, a football post or soccer posts. And that that kept me entertained for for ages. So there's loads of different elements. But yeah, I'd love to know your guys, what your thoughts are on um, practice and whether you implement what you see online onto the uh, onto the practice ground and, and hopefully out on the golf course. Okay, I've got a question for you. I've actually asked um, Twitter... Facebook and Instagram for questions and we will come to those but I've just thought of one weirdly don't know where this has come from your hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Playing in a pro-am, okay? And you're on the first tee with your full set of clubs, that's actually a what's in the bag video coming soon, guys. So we'll see what exactly what Rick's got in the bag. But let's say you're on the first tee and someone says, right, you have to swap one of your clubs, whether it be driver, three wood, irons, classes, one club, putter, etc. 
you have to swap it with a Sports Direct club. So Sports Direct driver putter. Which club do you think then in the... It's a long way to get into this, but which club in your bag, or anyone's bag, but your bag, is the least important? So which club would you like? Would you most like to swap it? Well, you have to. Wow. I don't know if that makes sense, but I know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, it does. Um, well, there's... It, it slightly depends, and, and I'm going to twist it because I think it makes for a better answer. Let's say it was a club that was permanently replaced. Okay. Because for one round of golf, I could easily live without my three wood. Yeah, okay, that's a good point. You no, know, so I'd actually just swap my three wood because I, I, I very rarely use it. I do like it, but I very rarely use yeah, okay, it. Yeah, okay. So if it was actually for a full round, of, full tournament, uh, tournament, I don't really play in those, but a full year of golf, um, I would possibly swap my. God, for Sports Direct. <laughs> See, I wouldn't want to swap my driver. I think that's too much of a difference. Yeah. Um, by the way, if you're listening for the US, Sports Direct is a budget, you know, sports shop here in the UK. Um, but they, they sell some decent gear, but a lot of it is like really, really cheap stuff. I did a video um, earlier this year where I bought a set of clubs for £70 and played with them. Um, so that's the kind of level of golf equipment they also sell. So driver, I definitely wouldn't because I just think there's too much of a of a benefit. Probably lose about forty or fifty yards easily guess. and direction. So that's obviously not going to be the one you swap. Putter. Mm. I feel like with putter, the biggest difference would be the weight of the of the cheap one. Let's say, I don't believe there's it's going to roll any different. I don't massively believe it's going to be harder to align. I just feel like the weight of a cheap putter is often much lighter and therefore it's harder to control distance but if i had it in the year, in the bag for a year mm-hmm. i'm sure i could soon you know get used to it so so putter's definitely up there it that might even though it's the club i use the most i feel like i could get used to a second you know a cheapish putter wedges a wedge is just one category yeah so <clears throat> wedges nines <laughs> I'm making this up as I go along. Don't worry, I don't think I'd do wedges. I just think again, there's too much benefit on premium, yeah, premium wedges. I really do, and I, I just don't think irons. The only thing I don't like about, um, you know, cheapish clubs is I'd fi- I always f- worry there's n- the tolerances of lofts etc can be quite varied. So you know, a seven iron might be 35 degrees aloft or 36 degrees aloft, and then your eight iron might be only a degree difference. You know, I just think the tolerances aren't as tight. So you think you put a probably well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put driver and three wood together. Yeah, because I just I could possibly swap my three wood because I don't use it often. But I th- I'm gonna put driver. That's cheating. Yeah, no. Let's go putter. Yeah, I think I don't know why I asked that. I just started thinking, and I I would agree with you. But then the next question would be: Well, obviously most brands now are. I remember. So if I go back five years ago, maybe six, seven years ago, a Scotty Camera in the top end was one eighty, and it felt like it was hundred eighty quid for years. Now they're like three fifty to four hundred pounds. Even tailor made putters like the Spider at what three hundred ish or something. Putters are getting dearer, and they're getting closer to that price of a driver. Now, what you've just said there, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, is that a Sports Direct or any cheap driver would go probably 40 or 50 yards less than a, a premium driver. So, therefore, the premium driver is, is, is worth, you know, worth all the money, but it's, it's, it's more worthwhile. Why should, why should golfers and consumers spend three, £400 on a putter if it doesn't make that much more difference? It's become a, it's become a, a, a jewellery um, section of the bag. You know, mm-hmm. it's more 
I don't believe that people genuinely buy new putters or Scotty Cameron's putters purely based on performance because one, it's unbelievably hard to measure and two, it's quite opinion-based and etc. Sometimes buying an expensive putter can weirdly boost your confidence and make you a better putter just via the sense you've got a 400-pound putter in your bag. Um, but I honestly think if you were to test it, robot testing, let's say, all the clubs in the bag, I honestly think putters, 400-pound Scotty Cameron against a 20-pound Sports Direct one, they would be the least amount of difference. Measurable yeah. difference. So, I yeah. agree. Um, good question, though. Thanks. You know what? I'm saying that I brought made that up myself, and I, I kind of did, but I just realised, I thought then, where have I thought of this from? And it's because of a question actually we did get off Facebook. So I'm going to read this one out. It's similar, but slightly different. From Stephen McPhillips, and he says, does the golf ball you play really make a big difference to your average golfer? And what budget ball would you recommend? So just quickly before you let you ever think what you answer, why you answer that one. But I've got an example. So I would always, a bit of a probably a ball snob. If I'm going out playing golf now, it would be a Pro V1, maybe a TP5, but typically I'll play a Pro V1. Now, um, about two years ago, my girlfriend's mum gave me two dozen, I think it was Titleist DT Solo, that somebody at work had, had given to her because they were moving offices or whatever. She knew that she had someone in the family that played golf. Long story short, I got given 24 DT Solos, which obviously I wouldn't really use. I then went out with some friends and played at my home course. Now, only a casual game of golf, but played properly, and I used a DT Solo because I couldn't bother losing a Pro V1, and I shot, I think, three or four under gross, which is one of my the best scores using a ball I would never dream of playing in a competition so answering that you know in, all, in answer to Stephen's question Stephen Phillips does it matter to an average golfer? <sighs> probably not no <laughs> probably not uh, you know does does the ball matter that much to a, to a tour professional to some degree uh, I've always had this idea that a ball should always be fitted from the green backwards. So for me personally, if I put it with a DT solo, I know I just would not like the feel. I've tested balls of that category before. And personally, because I'm so accustomed to a softer Pro V1 TP5, I don't like the feel of a harder ball when putting. I feel like it's unresponsive. It's just clicky. It just, I don't know. I don't, I don't even like, <laughs> it sounds ridiculous this, I don't even like the sound of it when it goes in the hole. Yeah. Like it just sounds like a brick. So I always I always rate a put a ball on that, and then going back the spin can I create the same amount of control? Potentially not. After that, I actually don't see a difference. Iron shots distance I don't see a difference. Driver shots I see no difference on any golf ball I've really ever tested, bar the straight ball that I tested earlier this year. Mm-hmm. But very rarely do golf balls make a difference on fuller shots. Um, so yeah, you. You're probably spot on, really. Um, I think too many people buy Pro V1s because they think that's the right choice, but there are plenty more choices out there that aren't expensive, as expensive as Pro V1 that would still service such a great deal for, for the majority of golfers. And did you say that question came from Facebook? Yeah, that was from Stephen McPhillips. And I think I, I saved that one earlier on. I think that's what then started making me think about that um, Sports Direct question. Well, it brings us quite nicely onto the sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> uh, four weeks in now. These guys just keep wanting to sponsor the podcast. Um, big shout out to Facebook page, Rick Shields PGA. Rick Shields PGA uploads, releases daily coaching videos for your golf entertainment and for your golfing needs. Helps you fix your slice, fix your hook, stop tapping it, improve your putting. Loads of drills, loads of little fun videos. Definitely worth checking out. Make sure you hit the link in the description of the podcast to go and follow the best Facebook page on the internet. And uh, 
a little blow in our own whistle here now we've just reached 134,000 followers which is mind-blowing because only in july did we hit 50,000 so facebook is just smashing it at the moment and also i've been really trying to get into tiktok recently so definitely go and check me out on there i'm still trying to get my head around it it's a very complicated social media but one i'm thoroughly enjoying it's very young demographic but if you are into tiktok and want to follow me it's the new up-and-coming um social media go and check me out at, at reach shields p g a talking about social media we watch a lot of content we watch a lot of videos we absolutely you know uh, certainly for me my my wife was out at the gym last night and i got home had my tea and didn't turn the tv on once all i did was watch youtube i don't know what's that like for most people these days but very rarely do i actually watch tv at home now and there was a there's a new channel that i'd actually spotted that i kind of want to give a bit of a shout out to um to it was a it's a couple i, I can't quite remember the names actually guys you have to look for it for me and basically go around and buy um or search golf clubs in like secondhand like i don't know what they call it boot sales almost garage like sales stores almost. thrift stores and stuff it's a really cool site i feel like it's like stacked stacked golf stacked There's golf Ashley and is it a couple i think so i really enjoyed the concept they were by I think on one video that I watched, they found like a Scotty Cameron putter and they found it for like dirt cheap. It was so uh, so cheap the, the what they bought it for and they ended up putting it, uh, I think where they had it refurbished and stuff, but it was class. I really enjoyed that channel. Do you watch anyone that you, you think is a pretty good guy? I must admit, I haven't I haven't seen too much of Stacked Golf. And now you mention it, I'm on the channel. I have, I think I've seen bits of it. Um, they've got 8,000 subs, but they've got getting good views in the videos. Um Looks like they're getting upwards of thirty, forty thousand views on some videos, which is class. That's really um, good. Obviously, I do watch loads of um, of golf content, but while we're kind of on the topic of, of, of smaller channels, I, I do um, I like what SES Golf is doing. So obviously Simon, oh, Simon Smith, yeah, Simon Smith, who um, we, if you remember, up two years ago, we actually did a few little trick shots with him. That was where we really kind of um, started putting stuff on Instagram. He was doing lots of trick shots, um, and some of those were really kind of cool yeah i really like him he start he's kind of found his niche a bit i think he's a good presenter of content he's good in front of camera his editing's pretty getting better um so sas golf he kind of he he he's been buying a few bits online as well some crazy stuff which i think is really cool he bought some i think fake honda golf clubs uh he absolutely smashes it a mile he played in the youtube golf day i really like him he's really well spoken and even do you remember at youtube golf day we came down for breakfast to grind and i was not particularly feeling great. Yeah, I must have Why? had something bad to eat the oh, day before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then we went down to breakfast and there's loads of YouTubers there. We're all having breakfast and whatever. And we looked out the window and out there was Simon Smith grinding, making a video. About half an hour later, this is before maybe 10 o'clock, um, the next day after the YouTube golf day, there was a video online summarizing the YouTube yeah. golf day via Simon Smith SAS Golf. So I can appreciate that absolutely that's that's grind yeah he's doing pretty well he's got just over 20,000 subs now 21,400 which is pretty good um he's uploading i don't know if it's every day but it looks like several times a week um i think what you see with simon as well is he's obviously quite creative so some of his videos are doing pretty well on views getting up to like 50 60,000 views per video um, yeah i really like him yeah, so good. make sure guys you go and check him out right let's finish this podcast off with a quick fire q a guy we've got loads of questions Excuse me, we've got loads of questions. 
We have. Fire away. So, let me find some. I feel like whenever I'm asked Sorry, to I get a question, spot, I know, and I'm like, I always forget how do I even use my laptop. Um, so, let's start with an easy one. What does it take to become a pro? So, there's different categories of pro. So, I am, I am effectively a golf professional. I, um, I see myself as a golf professional. Uh, my main focus being a coach. But as soon as you become a professional coach, I, I take income for coaching. Strictly, you need to be a professional because it's your professional business. I went down the route of going through my PGA, which is a qualification here in the UK. And, and also they have it over in the US where you do three years on a course. You've got to be off four handicap. You've got to um, complete a playing ability test. And then you've got to have uh, GCSEs in English and maths. You do your three years. You come out of it, ideally working at a pro shop at the, that those three years and you come out of it as a qualified pga professional that's one route the other route tour player tour professional professional golfer that's how i would kind of separate i'm a golf pro they're professional golfers um professional golfers are just super talented you've got to grind you've got to work hard you've got to be good you've got to prove yourself on many different occasions either via your club level, your county level, your national level, then you move up into the rankings of playing professional. You, anyone can turn professional. If like if guy wants to turn professional tomorrow, he could. He rings up the RNA or the USGA and say, "I would like to um, resonate my amateur status. I want to turn professional." It wouldn't mean anything because you can't do a great deal, but he could turn professional if he wanted to. So th- there's those ways. But if you want to really become a professional golf golf professional and play to a high level. Oh, I said that wrong way around, man. If you want to become a professional golfer and play at the top level, you've just got to be amazing at golf. The best way of doing that is work on your short game, work on your putting the old cliches and hit the ball a long, long way. I think one thing that really opened my eyes to professional golf was once you started seeing me hit golf shots. And I thought, how on earth have you become professional golf? No, I'm <laughs> joking. It was last year when we went to open qualifying and we filmed a really cool video, um, which was basically about not open qualifying, European tour qualifying. Oh, at Lumina. Yeah, in, in Spain, which is about the guys who were at the final, final stage where if they got through, was it eight rounds of golf or six rounds of golf? It was a lot of golf. It's just it's just ended this week. Yeah, this just... that, yeah, and it was basically, I think it was six rounds of golf, I'm right, but there's loads beforehand. This is the final stage and the top X amount, 20, 30, I can't remember, but anyway, got the European tour card. And we spent some time with these guys and, and watched them filmed a little documentary, which is obviously on, on the YouTube channel. It's definitely worth watching if you haven't seen it already. But these guys are ridiculous golfers. Ridiculous. And we spent a bit of time with some of them and got to know them on quite a personal level, which was great. And then throughout the rest of, of the season that's just finished now, I kept an eye on some of them. And, and these guys are, imagine the best player at your, your club who then goes to county level, the best player at county who then goes to national level. These guys are like better than that. And and most of them, unfortunately, didn't keep the tour card. It is, it's ridiculously hard, isn't it? Unbelievable. It really is. You know, I, I saw a glimpse into that a couple of years ago and I tried to do Quest for the Open. It's just different level. You've got you've to be superhuman at golf and and then to take it up to even the next level you look at you know the actual european tour players look at rory mcelroy who's just uh we're filming this before the weekend of the um race of the by final but he's gone out and shot eight under on the first day and that was not even winning he was one behind <laughs> so it's just crazy the amount of level that these guys are at i'm gonna say put my neck on the line you might disagree if the and say average european tour pro not the average but the average european tour pro if they were a member of, of most of, a, of normal golf clubs in the UK, for want of a better word, 
I think the handicap would be plus seven, plus eight. I'd agree. I think they're going to be shooting eight, seven, eight, nine unders on a regular occurrence because they're hitting drive then flicks into greens. Where out on the tour, they're hitting driver seven irons and still making birdies. If they hit driver, if they get anywhere inside a hundred yards off the tee, they're making birdies a lot of the time. Yeah, it's mad. What else you got coming? So the next question, I like this one. It's from Deadzy on uh, Instagram. The most underrated equipment brand, in your opinion, that more people should consider? Hmm. I've got I've got one in my mind. Underrated. Fact, I've got two. Equipment brand, more people should consider. That's a really good one. Um, okay, number one, after testing one of their recent drivers. Yeah, so I'm gonna, I know what you're going to say. Cleveland. That's who I had, yeah. So Cleveland... The, <laughs> Depends how long you've played golf for. Cleveland, when I was growing up, and probably Guy as well, honestly, they were the they were right up there in the same conversations we talk about now. Titleist, Callaway, Ping, TaylorMade, and potentially even Cobra now. Cleveland used to be in that mix. Yeah. They made an amazing driver, the launcher. They made incredible wedges. And over years, it got... I don't know quite the order, but it got bought by Shrixen um, and basically got... In my opinion, pushed to the side. Shrixen became then the, what they were more focused on. Cleveland really just to make wedges. But truth be told, they've now started making more different equipment again. And everything I've tested from Cleveland has always pretty impressed me. And then more of a local brand, which I have tested in the past, Ben Ross. Yeah. Cheap brand. They're only available in the UK. Um, but for for they don't their taglines don't play t- they don't pay tour players. So therefore they're cost is comes down a little bit more compared to let's say a tailor who has millions of overheads paying tour players they bring that saving onto the onto the consumer this is ben ross i think they do really well and then last one and it's not so much underrated but i honestly think bridgestone golf balls don't get the praise that they should do because they make class golf balls yeah i, I couldn't agree more the, I, I was gonna say um i was gonna say cobra i was gonna say cleveland which you said possibly tinker with wilson staff i think yeah, Wilson's a really good point. It's one of those brands, and it sounds bad. I, I personally wouldn't. This is such a, a snobbery thing. I probably wouldn't want Wilson clubs, but yeah, I'd also tell people that are looking at getting a set of irons. Yeah, they're great irons. It's just a, a brand perception thing. Touching on what you said with Ben Ross, there, they obviously are much cheaper. So I'm looking online now at websites in the UK, and the, the premium Ben Ross driver retails at one seven nine. So it's like half the price of a Cobra, and Cobra is perceived as to be good value at the moment. The only thing I think they struggle with, Ben Ross, is that for that 179, I think, as we said earlier, you can buy the Cobra F8 for 169 now. So it's it's hard to to attract people to that kind of brand when you can buy a two-season-old model for around the same price. But it's, from, it's good from stuff. From a brand you're more familiar yeah, with, it potentially. But that makes... It does make... They don't pay tour pros. So that we know it costs millions of dollars to, to sponsor your Rory's, your Tigers, even your, you know your lower-ranked names, if you want to say that. So the money that they're saving on on not doing that, they pass on to the consumer, and you do get some good gear. It just doesn't massively have that I want it kind of factor, but no. try it. I'm kind of glad you said Wilson, actually. <laughs> for me, having Wilson bag, clubs in the bag for a couple of years at the Irons, they do make phenomenal Irons. I don't think they've quite nailed every other area just yet, but their Irons are fantastic. What else have we got coming in? 
So, I was too busy looking at online websites at the brands then. Shopping. I know. Guys like that, I could, I could get one of these. i tell you what, though, honestly, just a sidetrack. When I look now, and I'm on, you know, I'm on retails in the UK that are very well known, how expensive golf clubs are. Now, I know we say this a lot, but literally, as I think we said in a couple of podcasts ago, I used to work for, for Nike only three or four years ago, and the premium irons at the time, the blades, I think were 6 nine, 9 for a set of 9 or 8, which obviously is not cheap. But now it's literally well over a thousand pounds. It's just yeah. crazy. We we alluded to the start of this conversation. This podcast we met up with a couple of brands this year, talking about new products for next year, and they were almost rejoicing that the fact they were bringing out sets of clubs that were that were less than a grand. You know, they were almost like seeing it as a positive. Where it really has gone skyrocket. I think uh, I certainly think PHG have had a big uh, a big influence on that. Okay, so I've got one. Something we've not done before. This could become a, a segment. Someone's asked George Jones, why is fitting so important? So as the, the PJ Pro, I want you to tell me why it is. And although I also do think it is, I'm going to argue why I don't think it is. Oh, so like so, change my mind? Yeah, exactly. So I want you to tell me why it's important and I'm going to come back. You used to be why. a fitter. I know, and I believe in fitting, but just for the sake of entertainment, I'm going to argue I against like it. it. What should we, we, need, we almost need to call it call it. Let's something. just call it change my mind. Simple. Yeah match play or something okay right um fitting why i think it's important i think if you are looking to fine-tune your game to take every element of the fitting more serious it can elevate your performance how via have it i think you know the, one of the things that i think really underrated lying grip thickness length of shaft okay so, I don't think fitting is as important as people make out. I think it has been a tool that has been massively pushed by retailers and brands to sell more product. I think we have hit a plateau in innovation with some some products. And brands and retailers are pushing fitting to try and get people to come into the store to experience it. They'll obviously have a nice experience with hopefully friendly members of staff. They might go to launch one for the first time. And that then um, makes them want to buy a product. Now, I haven't got any stats to hand, so I'm, I'm willing to be proved wrong, but I would love to, someone to prove me wrong that people's handicaps are getting better over the last five, ten years in the UK or the US, but fitting has become so much more. What I said earlier, now this would be me as an exception, I was off four when I was 15. I'm now 29 with fitted clubs, I'm still off four. So where's the evidence that people are getting better? <laughs> I... I- I, I'm kind of forgetting which side of the fence I'm sat on here a little bit. You're saying you like fitting. Because <laughs> you made some good points. <laughs> uh, I actually don't believe, statistically, and again, I might be proven wrong here, I don't believe the average handicapper has come down. I think the average handicapper has probably so stayed the same. So why is fitting better then? Uh, <laughs> right. <clears throat> let's Let's continue this conversation. I believe fitting is better... Because I've seen evidence that it can change ball flights and ball patterns to help the golfer improve their performance. So I've seen it evidently in my own eyes when a driver has been tweaked and adjusted to add more loft or to open the face up to stop a hook. It makes a difference. Mm. Yeah, I mean, obviously there is... 
there is examples where it does work. So I remember many years ago, I bought a second-hand set of AP2s that were half an inch longer and two degrees upright. I need standard, if you like. So every shot I hit with the irons was going left, and it massively exaggerated with the shorter irons. So I got them cut down and flattened a little bit, and they were great. So it, it does... I, mean, I am joking, I hear about not, not thinking fitting works. It does make a difference. One thing I think that people overlook with fitting and that has become too much of a thing if you went to the average golf club now or the average golfers who are relatively well up on equipment and you know watch a bit of youtube and read the odd magazine they have this and it's it's wrong this mindset that oh the shaft is the most important bit and any old head works and you know when you go for fitting it's the most important bit is a shaft i don't agree with that no i must admit i don't agree with that where fitting does make such a difference it doesn't even feel like it's fitting but it is Let's just imagine you've got a friend who wants to take up golf. They've never played golf before. They've watched some Rick Shields YouTube videos. They've thought, this looks cool, so I'm going to start playing golf. You would not advise them to buy a set of irons that come one iron down to nine iron that are in a steel triple extra stiff shaft. You would... You wouldn't. You'd say stay away because they don't need the the one iron. They don't need the two iron. They don't need the three iron. They don't need a blade, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So for me, fitting is important in as much of getting the right kind of head with the right kind of CG locations, um, the right actual golf clubs, again, fit in. You know, you wouldn't say to somebody, go out and buy driver, three wood, five wood, seven wood, nine wood, 11 wood, 13, wouldn't have one wedge, because that just, you wouldn't do that. So it's it's broader. I just think there's a massive focus over the last number of years on fitting being all about shaft, shaft, shaft. I don't think the shaft, which we've proven before in videos, is as important as people think. As I mentioned earlier when I said about what is important for fitting, line yeah. length, grip. Yeah. I didn't no. say I didn't say, you know, I don't I think flex a certain degree, but there's not that much. Yeah, no. I think jokes aside, fitting is definitely important. Um but I also do think it's it's becoming it is genuinely becoming something that brands and retailers are pushing more. And I don't always know how much of a difference it does make. And as I said, if, if, if you guys have, have got evidence where your handicaps dropped since they're getting a fitting or, you know, the handicaps across the UK or the US have dropped, I'd love to know. But I, I don't know if that has been the case. Very good point. Let's finish off with another segment I think we should introduce. Quickfire minute round. Okay. Ready? So I've got loads of questions on Instagram. You ask them. I'll answer as many as I can in a minute. Wait, the timer starts in three, two, one. Which is your favourite brand, Ben Hogan or Nike? Nike. What do you do with your old clubs once you come out of the bag? Keep them for storage and future testing. Do you plan to play any golf in Australia? I have done and I want to again. What wedges do you think are, the mo- are a must-have in a bag? So I think that means lots. Uh, 60, 56, 52. As long as you've covered it from your pitching wedge. Best and worst golf you've played with? Best, Natahatakotcha, or worst, um, oh my goodness, nobody of any, any stature, I don't think. Favourite course in Ireland? Uh, Portrush, oh no, that's Northern Ireland. Portrush in Northern Ireland, K Club in Ireland. Number one source of motivation to get out of bed in the morning? My kids screaming. <laughs> Lowest spinning driver you can buy right now? Uh, PXG 0811X. Are 2020 clubs better than 2019 clubs? They might be. Who knows? <laughs> I thought it's a minute. 
Okay, that was quite good. I felt impressed then. I almost felt like I forgot to read for a moment. (laughs) Guys, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the episode. If you have, make sure you leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe to the Rick Shields podcast. All the links to my social media is down below. We've got some really cool videos coming out this week. As Guy mentioned, what's in the bag, what is currently in my bag. And also, I'm going to leave you on this little teaser. Are TaylorMade going to fail in 2020? Wow. Guys, thanks for listening. I hopefully you enjoyed it, and I'll see you all soon. It's out from me and Guy, and we shall see you next time on the Rich Shields Podcast. See ya.